know, this morning we're in the second week, uh, continuing our studies uh, through the book of Luke. Uh, and today we're considering Jesus' baptism. A little, in a few moments, I want to read from Luke chapter 3. Mike read uh, this passage last week when he did a great job of introducing us to John the Baptist, the slightly weird guy who dressed pretty rough and ate very peculiar food, especially when compared to the other religious leaders of his day. He was kind of an out there sort of guy, you know, one of those guys you'd probably avoid if you saw him in the street. Uh, let me just see how many of you were brave last week. If you were here last week, how many of you tried one of those nasty little insects that Mike bought for us to try? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I did as well. I did as well. They're not the tastiest snack in the world, are they? You wouldn't kind of put them out at parties or, or, or use them as dips. They, they were pretty nasty, really. The aftertaste, they tasted great when you ate them, but the aftertaste was pretty wicked, really. So... Anyway, forgetting about John's clothing and uh, his food and all the stuff he did that was weird, it's important for us to remind ourselves the context and the super, super importance of Jesus' baptism. A massively important time that so often we just kind of read over and can often just skip over. So John the Baptist, this slightly weird guy who lived in a very, very religious place, as Mike uh, showed us last week, didn't look like a normal teacher of his time, ate the strangest of things, yet he was the one Jesus went to to be baptised and from where Jesus launched his earthly ministry, a pretty important time. And you'd have thought that this earthly launch of Jesus' ministry should have been a much grander affair much bigger and a much better baptizer than dear old John. Maybe it should have been in the temple course with the priests and all those kind of religious people around. Because this was a time when heaven was coming to earth. But isn't it just typical of Jesus? Jesus always does the unexpected thing. He works with the strangest of people. He works with the least qualified of people and the weirdest of people. Which actually, I'm quite glad about that because I fit into one of those categories and I'm glad he does work with those of us who are like that. But when we consider both the birth, the baptism and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it tells us something about God and creation and the way that he loves every one of us. No one's too lowly for our God. Our God is a God that comes and reaches out. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 23 verses. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch, Herod the Tetrarch in Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch, I'll tell you what, I've picked some great names here, of Ituria and Trancontinus and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Albiline, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. Thank the Lord we're through that bit, eh? God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord, 
Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough way smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds, coming out, of the, coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abram as our father. For I tell you that out of those stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. For he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, became, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And then he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on, it, on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Well, I hope you catch hold of that reading a wee bit. Always good to read God's word and see the context. I mean, John was a pretty uh, straightforward preacher, was he not? He was a bit, uh, he was a bit kind of straight in the, in the nose, you know. There was no messing around. He was just telling them as it was. I mean, calling people a brood of vipers is not really the nicest way to describe people in the world. But there's a big question we need to ask, I think, right at the outset of this talk. And the question is this, why? 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 Why did Jesus need John's baptism of repentance why did he need that well i want to say this and i'm happy to have a discussion with any theologians here today he didn't need it he did not need john's baptism of repentance jesus was sinless and perfect he didn't need to repent of anything he was and is the son of god yet jesus the perfect son of god formed an orderly queue amongst all the rest of the people, the sinners and the not-imperfect people, to be baptized 
in this baptism of repentance. He cooed, if you like, with the remainder of society on the banks of the Jordan, quite clearly demonstrating that he was indeed fully human. He was fully human, but he was fully God. He was obeying the call to be baptized, just like all the sinners around him. Did he need baptism? No. He did it out of obedience because it was the right thing to do. I think the other thing he did, and the bit I like is, I guess I'm really pleased that I don't have a God who sits aloof, who sits somewhere up in heavens, showing us just how far, how far short we fall of being able to reach him and attain his standards. We don't have a God who sits up there calling us to be good. Come on, see if you can make it. Try a bit harder. Do a bit more. Do some more penance. Do something. We don't have a God who does that. The amazing thing is this. We have a God who comes down and gets with us, who gets in the dirt with us, who gets in the filth of sinners like me and you. He understands our struggles and our weaknesses. He understands our faults and our failures, knows that we can never make it on our own. And no matter how good we are or how strong we feel, we are doomed. But God, in his amazing grace and mercy, lifts us up out of the mud and the mire and the dirt and the filth and the rubbish, out of our weakness, out of our failures, out of our sin, out of our addictions, and sets our feet on a rock. Wow. Aren't you glad we have a God like that? I am. Our God understands that we are never, ever going to make it on our own. And just as he joined the queue with the sinners to be baptized, he comes to us and he gets down with us. And you know what he does? He lifts us up. He doesn't get down with us and stay with us. He gets down with us to lift us up. Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus is, is listening for your cry to him. Whatever that cry may be this morning, God is listening for you to cry out to him. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Took us up out of the rubbish, gave us somewhere to stand. He did another thing as well. He's, he put a new song of praise, a hymn of praise to our God in our mouths. He's given us a new life. We're not just up out of the mire. Something is transformed within us when God raises us up. We have a great, merciful, loving God. See, all the religious leaders of the day when Jesus was there thought themselves to be way above ordinary people, way above the tax collectors and the sinners. The religious leaders thought they were the special ones, the chosen ones. They didn't mix with the riffraff of society. They would never accept John's baptism of repentance. They didn't think they needed to repent. Yet Jesus comes, the Son of God, and by his example shows ordinary people that repentance and humility is the only way back to the Father. Wow. 
Baptism is amazing, isn't it? Jesus' baptism just shows us that in his baptism. He gets down with people. And although we've just looked and seen that Jesus' baptism was a very earthly, if you like, and a very down-to-earth event with the people, this was also an incredibly heavenly event. Jesus' baptism is where we see clearly the Godhead working together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this event must have been quite earth-shattering for those who were close by, who saw it in person. The first thing we read is that the heavens opened. The heavens opened. Difficult to understand exactly what that means. We're not told exactly what it means or what it looked like, but it must have been something physical and something very special, something that could be seen, maybe Harking back to what Isaiah said in 64 verse 1, Isaiah 64, 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, God, and come down. Something happened in the heavenlies. There was a parting. I don't know. There was maybe a roadway. There was something that happened. The heavens opened. Whatever actually happened, it must have been very special. It must have been a very special moment when somehow... Heaven and earth sort of combined. You get that feeling that there's a, there's a synergy, there's a combination of heaven and earth coming together. The heavens are opened. When we see the Godhead come down to earth, we shouldn't really have been surprised as we read this. After all, it was the beginning of Jesus Christ, the Son of God's ministry here on earth. This wasn't just a special time. This was an earth-shattering time. This was a time life would never be the same. Even eternity would change. Something incredibly significant was taking place. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, had finally arrived to do what only he could do. This was the fulfillment of all the prophetic words that came in the Old Testament. This was the fulfillment of God's plan. The Messiah, the Savior, he'd come to rebuild that broken relationship between God and mankind. He'd come to defeat sin, death, and hell. This was the commissioning meeting of all time. Mike said a bit earlier about the commissioning meeting uh, that's taking place on the 22nd, which will be an important time when Mike and Jenny get commissioned to, to take on this place and, and run it for God. And I tell you, if it ends up like the baptism, Michael, it will be a pretty special event. When the heavens are open and God comes down and tells us something about what he wants to do in the future here. But Jesus' baptism was a commissioning above all commissionings. It was amazing. No wonder the heavens opened. Something incredible was taking place. Secondly, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in physical form. The Holy Spirit actually took on a physical presence. It says that the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. So did the Holy Spirit look like an actual dove or was it when the Spirit fell, there was such a peace, there was something, an awe and a wonder and a reverence that the only way it could be described was like a dove. I I don't know how that works really, except that even back then the dove was a symbol of peace. But all the other gospel writers say the same. 
they describe the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit as like a dove. Whatever happened physically, something took place spiritually, spiritually that couldn't be ignored. Peace and power came down and rested on and filled this carpenter, this ordinary man. This man who had joined the repentance line with everyone else to receive John's baptism was being singled out in some mysterious way from heaven itself. That's what the people there must have thought. I bet you could almost hear the hush kind of wonder amongst the crowd as these things took place. Unusual things, things they'd not seen before. You see, in Luke's account, we have Jesus, the Son, being obedient to baptism. We have the Holy Spirit displaying God's pleasure and affirmation by resting and filling Jesus. And then, thirdly, this must have been quite something. There's a voice from heaven. Ooh, a voice from heaven. That the heavens have opened, the Spirit's descended, and then there's a voice. Can you even begin to imagine what that must have been like, to hear a voice coming from where? Heaven. Coming from heaven. From a place where God dwells. From a place where the angels are around the throne worshipping God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And suddenly this voice comes from heaven. Wow. How incredible. Who hears God's voice? Who heard God's voice? Was it just some of the people, all of the people? We're not told. But God the Father gives this absolutely crystal clear authentication of who Jesus of Nazareth really is. See, when he was in the queue, he was just an ordinary guy. According to all the people around, just an ordinary guy. He's not Joseph's son. He's not just a carpenter. He's not just an ordinary man. This is Jesus Christ, and he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. What does God say from heaven? You're my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Wow. Just imagine yourself being in that crowd. Maybe you might have been one of those who'd been baptized. But you're standing there and you hear this voice and suddenly you must go, wow, this is so, so special. Something is credible is taking place. You see, John the Baptist knew prophetically already who Jesus was. John knew and states that Jesus should be baptizing him rather than he baptizing Jesus. John knew that before Jesus, he was totally unworthy. John understood that Jesus was the perfect son of God and he was just John the baptizer. And he says, I wasn't even worthy to untie the sandals from his feet. And this was all part of the preparation for Jesus' ministry, the filling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Father God's voice from heaven. 
And the following three years after this in Jesus' ministry would be the pivot point of history and of eternity. Things were going to change in both. You see, Jesus was going to face all kinds of different situations while here on earth, both physical and spiritual. His life would be like no other life that ever lived before or after him. His life would be unique. His message would be like no other message ever given. His power and majesty would be like no others. And it would become evident to all who had ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus healed the sick, he raised the dead, banged up the brokenhearted and set captives free. Prophetically spoken in Isaiah. That's what he did. His death would be sin-breaking for all who believed and his resurrection would be death-beating for all who believed. We have a wonderful God. I'm getting a little bit excited up here. I can see you all out down there, can't I? Whatever Jesus accomplished on earth would have eternal significance. For he's alive today. He's the living God and he's coming to us today. He's coming to you today. He's living amongst us and dwelling within us. He's down in that crowd ready to be baptized. You may not even recognize him. You may think he's just an ordinary guy. This is an ordinary message. This is an ordinary teach. He's just an ordinary guy. Let me tell you this, he's not because a voice from heaven, as soon as you take one step closer to Jesus, God comes and he said, this is my son. This is my son whom I am well pleased. You see, God and Jesus want to get alongside you today. Whether you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, or even if you have no experience of him, he stands with you just as he stood with the crowd, with the ordinary people at his baptism. He understands. He knows how you feel. He wants to bind up your broken heart this morning. He wants to set you free this morning. He wants to bring you into a new family, set your feet on a rock, and guess what? Put a new song in your heart. Put a new song in your heart, and you don't have to wear a mask for it. You can just sing this new song, and you can go for it. Put a new song in your mouth. You see, at the outset of this talk, I asked this question. Did Jesus need to be baptized by John? The answer is no, he didn't. Jesus was and is the perfect son of God. Let me ask another question. Do you need to be baptized if you become a Christian? Yes, you do. Because you are not Jesus and you are not perfect. You need to be baptized. The scriptures are clear that we believe and then are baptized. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter said this to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. But just as Jesus was filled with the Spirit, the Spirit rested on Jesus, we believe the Holy Spirit comes and rests on us and comes and fills us as well. And baptism, I believe, is part of that obedient step we take to enjoy the fullness of Jesus Christ, to enjoy the fullness of God in our lives. See, baptism in water 
is a public confession and acknowledgement of starting a new life with Jesus. It symbolizes the end of the old as you go under the water and the beginning of the new as you come up. You're resurrected, if you like, into new life. If you're a Christian and you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized by being fully immersed in water, then let me encourage you to talk to one of us this morning, talk to Mike this morning, and we can get you dunked relatively quickly. We could whip you down to the River Tees later today, throw you off the bridge and drag you back up. No, we couldn't. We could set the back. It would be lovely to see people baptised. If you've never been baptised, I want to encourage you, get baptised. It's a sign of obedience. It's an obedient. We're commanded to be baptised. And maybe this morning you're sitting and you say, well, I don't know whether I am a Christian or not. I don't know whether I've really given my life to Jesus. You can do that this morning. You can ask Jesus to come into your life, to make you a new person. You can ask him to forgive you for the things you've done wrong. Maybe you've come brokenhearted this morning. Let me tell you, Jesus is here to bind up the brokenhearted, to set you free if you feel captive to something. He's come to release you. He's come to set you free. He's come to make you a new person. He's come this morning. You may think, I don't feel like singing this morning. I'm well, Jesus comes to you. What's a new song? wants to put a new song in your heart. You see, our Jesus, the one we love, the one who loves us, comes down with us, gets in amongst us. He's sitting with you this morning. He's come to sit with you so he can lift you up. You're feeling down. He wants to lift you up. He wants to put your feet on a rock. You might be in the mud and the mire. You might think things are going pear-shaped for me. I'll tell you what, Jesus wants to come. He wants to lift you up, set your feet on a rock, put a new song in your heart. He's an amazing God. Don't you just love him? Amen. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that you are an amazing God. We thank you that you are a God who comes and speaks with us individually and you speak with us as a corporate group as well. We want to pray this morning that each one of us would reach out to you this morning. We would know that you're the God who comes and lifts us up, that you're the God who understands that you're the God who has the power and authority to do whatever. So, Lord, we say thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible obedience to the Father. We thank you that you came to this earth, that you were born naturally, that you were baptized, that you lived a perfect life for us, and that you died and you rose again. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did it for us. And Lord, we want to turn our hearts to you and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus.